The uh, next few weeks, um, we are going to be talking about home. That, uh, that song mentioned, you could come back home, and over the next few weeks, I invite you to come back and uh, worship with us and look at God's Word with us uh, starting next Sunday as we talk about home, uh, uh, our families, our kids, our marriages, our, our single lives, our, our church homes. And we're even going to talk about our eternal home over the next few weeks. So I, I hope you will, you will come back uh, and join us for that. And uh, I hope you will join me uh, right now. And uh, also remember this, that uh, in doing so, you'd be joining millions, millions, if perhaps not billions of people around the world in confessing today what we declare to be foundational truth. And there's not a better day to do it than Easter Sunday to confess our belief together. Would you say with me the foundational beliefs that we have in the Apostles' Creed? Would you, would you say this with me? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, and we say amen to that. Do you believe those things? Do you really believe that? The, the surveys, recent surveys, surprisingly, even with all the things going on in our culture, 92% of Americans say they believe in God. They might not define God exactly the way we've just done in the Apostles' Creed, but 92% do believe in God. And listen to this, over 70% of Americans say they believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I was kind of surprised by that. I didn't think it'd be quite that high still. Over 80% believe in heaven, believe that there is a heaven after this life, a, a place of, of goodness, peace, rest, joy beyond this life. Now, the numbers drop down when you talk about the traditional alternative to that, and only around 60%, maybe even just a little less than 60%, say they believe in hell, a place of separation from God and after this life. But there are also surveys that say up to 99% of people in America believe that they will go to heaven after, after they die. But of those 99%, all, uh, over 90% of them uh, believe that there is somebody they know who isn't going to go there. So we say we believe, and we're here today, most of us, because we believe, and, and we find it very important to, to be in church and to be worshiping and to be affirming our faith in, in Jesus Christ on the day that we celebrate his resurrection. I would just like to remind you 
that um, we do that here every Sunday. And you are more than welcome uh, to be here. That, and that's why we worship on Sunday, because it's the day of the resurrection. But here we are, Easter Sunday, and we're here today because we believe. But again, I'm, I would ask a follow-up question to that. Do, do we believe that, that this makes a difference in our lives? Is it, is it more than just something that we say gives us some sort of secure hope for the distant future? Is it something that matters here and now today? There's a couple of chapters in the scripture that if you haven't read the Bible today uh, in a time alone with God, I would encourage you at some point today there's, uh, to read the Gospel of John, the last two chapters, chapters 20 and 21. It'd just be great to kind of remind you a little bit about why we celebrate, th celebrate this day and what happened. And, and I'm not going to read all of that scripture to you, but I am going to refer you to it. The, in the last two chapters of, of, of God, John's Gospel, the, the resurrected Jesus encounters hundreds of people it's hundreds of people that were eyewitnesses to a resurrected jesus christ but there are several only a few several recorded conversations that he had after the resurrection and i want to look at three of those that we find in in john 20 and 21 and and in these three conversations the incredible redemptive restoring power of the resurrected Jesus is on display. And it's on display in the lives of very real people, people that I believe that most of us, if not all of us, could identify with one or all three of these people. And I want you to hear this today. The resurrected Jesus offers redemption. The resurrected Jesus offers redemption. And in the first story, we see that the resurrected Jesus offers Redemption to all those seeking to overcome a troubled past. There's a lady that uh, we, we hear about uh, throughout the Gospels. The first time she's referred to is in Luke chapter 8. She's known as Mary of Magdala, or as she's often called, Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene was, was someone with, with a lot to overcome. When we first see her when she first meets Jesus the scripture tells us that he casts seven demons out of her most of us can't quite fathom exactly what that would look like and exactly what that means but most of us grasp that that sounds terrible that a person with seven demons however those demons take shape and form and however they manifest themselves in a person's life that it would certainly be somebody who's tormented and whose life is chaos There's lots of other speculation about Mary Magdalene. We don't know exactly for sure. We're not given all the details, but there's some speculation. Maybe she was a prostitute. Many seem to think so. Maybe she was an adulteress, which would mean so much greater in terms of stigma and, and trouble in that culture than it does ours. But whatever the case, it's pretty clear that Mary Magdalene had a dark and terrible past. But she'd met this man named Jesus, and he'd cast demons out of her. He'd given her, he'd given her purpose. She began to follow him. She began to gather with other people who were following him, and it was totally changing her life. 
It was taking her out of that torment and that chaos, and she began to follow Jesus. And so on that morning when she went to the tomb that we hear about in John chapter 20, she felt like everything had been taken from her. In fact, when the angels spoke to her, she didn't recognize who they were. She didn't recognize what was going on, and she just simply said, they have taken him away. All, all this, this person that signified overcoming her terrible past had been taken out of her life. Maybe you're here today, and you feel like a lot's been taken from you taken away my home they took away my job they took my wife's been taken or my child was taken they've taken my rights they've they've taken my joy my my dignity my dreams my hopes mary felt that loss she felt that abandonment and i don't know but i think probably so that all the fears of her past troubles were trying to overtake her again when she went to that graveside that morning. That was until she heard her name. She didn't recognize the risen Jesus at first. She thought this guy standing there was just the gardener, just the caretaker of the area around the tomb. until he said her name, Mary. Earlier in John's gospel, John records the words of Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep by name, and my sheep recognize my voice. Jesus spoke her name, he revealed himself to her, and it restored her. It redeemed her in that moment. It gave her new purpose. In fact, you could say that Mary Magdalene was the first apostle. Apostle means someone who is sent. And she was the first one, the very first person sent to tell other people that I have seen Jesus and he is alive. If you've got a past, past that's overwhelming your present the resurrected Jesus is ready to redeem you and give you a purpose the second story teaches us this a second conversation we find in these chapters the resurrected Jesus offers redemption to all those who have been plagued by doubt all those who have been plagued by doubt. Thomas. Thomas, the disciple whose uh, name is uh, synonymous with doubt. Uh, my middle name happens to be Thomas. Jeffrey Thomas Johnson. And I don't know, maybe it's because that's my middle name. I always, I always feel a little bad for Thomas when he seems to, to get a bad rap. Thomas the doubter. Well, he, he was a doubter, but he wasn't a coward. He was not a coward. And in John chapter 11, the first time we kind of hear from Thomas, 
the setting is this. Lazarus, a good friend of Jesus, the brother of Mary and Martha, also good friends of Jesus. Lazarus has become extremely ill, very, very sick. And the family sends for Jesus, hoping he'll come and heal Lazarus and, and save his life. But Jesus knows this, that if he makes that journey, because they lived just, just outside of Jerusalem in a place called Bethany, he, he's going to be so close to Jerusalem, and the authorities are already looking for him. His enemies are already trying to find a way to trap him and bring him down. And the time is coming close to fulfillment, and he knows he's headed to the cross, and he knows that if he goes to see Lazarus and that family, that he's headed to the end. He's tried to explain that to the disciples, and he tries to let them know that again. And it is Thomas who speaks up and says, well, let's go with him, and let's die with him. He wasn't grasping all what Jesus' death would mean, but he wasn't a coward. He was ready to follow this guy. Thomas was honest. John chapter 14, there's some pretty familiar words that many people know from, from the Bible where Jesus is talking about and he says, in my Father's house are many rooms and I'm going to prepare a place for you and where I go, you know, you can go and you know the way. And Thomas speaks up and says, we don't have any idea where you're going. Well, how can we know the way? He was honest. So it's not surprising that when Jesus was crucified and then the reports begin to surface after three days that, that he's been resurrected and Mary and others have started spreading the message that Jesus is alive, it's not surprising that Thomas said, I'm not going to believe that until I see him and I touch his wounds. Thomas' battle with doubt is, is a common one. I think most of us have doubts. Does it, does it shake you up too much, those of you that, that know me, if I tell you that once in a while a doubt creeps in my mind about things that we'd consider to be true and foundational? Most of us have doubts. There are moments when we wonder if all this Jesus stuff is really true. Some of us, it's because of our personality. We're just kind of made that way. Our minds just kind of work like that. We, we think logically and analyze things and have to see things played out. And, we're, you know, you're the, you're the folks that are sitting out here that the science classes come easy to. Maybe the math comes easy to, and you're not like the rest of us. You're just a little different. And you like to see, and you believe it when you see it. And you can see it because it's right here, and it makes sense. Some of us have doubts because the belief has just been kicked out of us. Hurt, hypocrisy, injustice. Suffering, pain. You know, the, the cool thing is that Jesus doesn't shy away from that. He knows perfectly well what, 
Thomas' thoughts are. He knows how Thomas is wired, what's going on with him. He doesn't shy away from that from all. In fact, in the second appearance that Jesus made to all the disciples, Thomas wasn't there at the first. He was away somewhere doubting. And then Jesus shows up. And he comes to Thomas and he says, Thomas, here I am. If you need to touch the wounds. And in that moment, Thomas's doubting is overcome. And he makes one of the shortest but greatest confessions. In fact, the first confession recorded where Jesus is called God by someone. He says, my Lord and my God. And it looks like history tells us that Thomas became so convinced that he gave his life to sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and take it to the ends of the earth. It's likely that Thomas was the apostle who took the gospel the furthest distance all the way to the nation, to the land that we know as India today. Thomas took the news of the resurrected Jesus and gave his life for it. If some of you have doubts today, it's a pretty common thing. If some of you have doubts today, I, I think it would be okay to confess to the Lord and say, Lord, I believe that at least some, would you help my unbelief? He will final story, final conversation we see here in these chapters. The resurrected Jesus offers redemption to all those who have a history of failure. The most well-known of Jesus' 12 closest followers was known for his boldness, was known for his brashness. And several times that boldness and brashness is displayed in a really good way where he got it right. But in the last moments of, of Jesus' life, leading up to the cross, the disciple we know as Peter, his moments were filled with colossal failure. I guess the, the new word these days is epic. This was an epic failure. Hours before, Jesus had predicted, I mean, he said to Peter, Peter was being bold and saying, I believe, I believe, I'm with you. And Jesus said to him, Peter, you're going to deny me. Three times you're going to deny me. That all came true. Three times Peter had denied Jesus. But in this encounter that we see between the resurrected Jesus and, and Peter in John chapter 21. There's this amazing moment where the resurrected Jesus sees Peter and, and sees that that failure is still hanging over his head. And he calls Peter out of his fishing boat because Peter had just kind of gone back to his old life. He calls Peter out of that 
fishing boat to meet him on the, the shore of the lake for breakfast. And that breakfast is being cooked over a charcoal fire. The last time Peter was over a charcoal fire, it was in a courtyard where he's warming his hands. And a girl asks him if he knows Jesus, and he swears with profanity, I don't even know who you're talking about. That was the last time he's over a charcoal fire, and now he's over one with Jesus on that lake shore for some breakfast. Three times he had denied that he knew Jesus, and three times in John chapter 21, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And three times, Peter affirms, yes, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. And in that moment, the resurrected Jesus restores Peter, redeems him, and commissions him again. And this time, he makes another prediction about Peter. He says, Peter, you're going to lay your life down for me for the sake of the gospel. And most historians say that happened when Peter was crucified himself in Rome about 30 or 40 years later. What's your greatest regret? What's your greatest failure? Chances are, if you're honest, you don't have to think very long about that. The good news of the resurrection today is that that does not have to define you. The resurrected Jesus, the crucified and risen Savior, is here today and stands ready to redeem you, to forgive you. I love these words that I read from a lady named Rita Snowden this week. She said, you ask me what forgiveness means? It is the wonder of being trusted again by God in the place where I disgraced him. There was a redemptive promise that God spoke through a prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus came. That, uh, that promise Jesus fulfilled and he continues to make true today. It's in Isaiah chapter 63 in verse 9, I want you to see these words. It says this, In all their sufferings, he also suffered, and he personally rescued them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all through the years. You bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you today for your redeeming love and grace. I thank you for the sacrifice that you made on the cross. I thank you for the power that uh, raised Jesus from the dead and today gives us the hope that our life, that our life has meaning, that, it, that our life can, can be filled with the presence of God and the strength and goodness that he brings the power to overcome. So, Lord, I pray today that you would open our hearts and minds 
And if there's any, anyone who is here today that needs that redeeming grace and forgiveness and restoration and healing, that you would bring it, Lord. We thank you again. We trust in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. far from God. All I could think about was how to get to this place in my life. Why did I feel like that was the only choice? All I knew is that I need to get out of the situation. So at five and a half weeks, I had an abortion. After that day, there was an undeniable void. I tried to hide how I felt, but it affected everything. I felt like I was condemned to my own private hell and there was no one to talk to. But then at the urging of a friend, I attended a Rachel's Vineyard retreat, a post-abortion recovery group, and found that I wasn't alone. I walked in scared, wanting to hide my face, but not wanting to feel this way anymore. Then the A word was spoken for the first time. It was the unspeakable word. We were allowed to grieve and God was allowed to heal. He also led me to this church. And on the first Sunday, I sat in the very back row and watched pastor spread his arms like Jesus did on the cross and say, the cross was for me too. After service, I ran out to my blue Toyota Corolla and sat and sobbed. I not only heard with my ears that God really loved me, but I started actually believing it with my heart. Because of the cross, the chains of my past are gone. Because the, by the grace of God, I am redeemed. I am redeemed. You set me free. This journey did not start out of guilt or problems needing to be fixed. I wanted to become a more well-rounded person. That is why I accepted an invitation to attend a Bible study. I figured, why not? I might learn something. At the time, my perception was, 
You have to have it all together before you can go to church or attempt to know God. I figured that I will never be there, so why try? But after being involved and learning about the stories in the Bible of this redemptive love God showed these people time and time again, I realized these people messed up bad, <laughs> more than I do, and still God tried to help them. I imagined how much he may want to help me. Over time, my girlfriend then, now wife, we started to try and have a relationship with God and not a religion. God showed us a love and direction that is better, but it has turned into something more now. Through this relationship, I have overcome a whole bunch of immaturities and self-serving attitudes. One objective that had to be overcome was this constant need to keep up with the Joneses. And to top it off, we had a mountain of debt to account for loading us down financially. God wanted us to try it His way. It did not make sense to us, but we started tithing. Over the process of three years, we were able to crumble the mountain of debt into nothing at all. We did it God's way. Now my family has financial freedom and are not shackled by greed. I thought I knew what was best for my life before, more than the almighty, all-knowing God, and yet he put up with me anyways. He has better things planned and I realize that now. It has been amazing what can be accomplished through this relationship. I will never be perfect, but I would rather live life with God's help than without him. Because of the cross, I have more than a religion, I have a relationship. Because of the cross, I'm redeemed. All my life I have been called unworthy. Named by the voice of my shame and regret. But when I hear you whisper, child, lift up your head. I remember, oh God, you're not done with me yet. Because I am redeemed. with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. I had a past that not many people knew about. I was pregnant before my first wedding and that union lasted only two and a half years because of my husband's unfaithfulness. Then after 11 years filled with painful emotional abuse, I finally ended my second marriage. I felt relief and peace to leave the abuse behind, but I had come to believe the lies he told me. Things are so different now. I have the most wonderful marriage and husband that anyone could ask for. But even in the middle of it all, the peace would sometimes fade and that same guilt would just set in when I heard anyone speak a divorce or read scripture about how much God hates it. But then everything changed one Sunday when our pastor spoke about divorce during a series on Jesus' parables. Immediately, I cringed with the thought of hearing the subject yet again. Pastor spoke about seeing what's in your heart and your motives. Then he simply said, Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. What? God knew I needed to hear the pastor say those exact words. He knew I needed to be reminded that I was no longer bound in my past, that I was truly forgiven, clean. In those moments for the first time, I felt truly free. 
of the cross, my guilt is gone, and I now have a true peace. Praise God, I've been redeemed. I am redeemed. You set me free. loving husband and three beautiful children. We owned a prosperous business. We enjoyed a high profile in the city. John was on the city council and served as mayor of the city. We then sold our funeral home and invested in real estate, land and home building, and life was what I had always dreamed of. But in the middle 80s, Texas went into a steep decline, and our world began to crumble. Deep depression set in, and I fell apart. I withdrew. I felt more and more alone, unloved, needing desperately to have some attention, and for life to be like it was before. John, he made the decision to take a job in Houston back to what he knew best, funeral service. But my depression worsened. I could barely function during the day and couldn't sleep at night. I would get up in the middle of the night and go upstairs and sing the song in God's own time and sit and cry. When she was in junior high school, Joanna was ready to start her career as a psychologist when she said to me one day, Mom, wake up and smell the coffee. Home is where we are, not a house on a corner lot. Thankfully, over time, with God's help, I came to understand that my life was not defined by the material things in life, but it consisted of me being His child and His presence being in my life. I know that by His grace and love, God made the sun shine again. Because of this cross, Jesus rescued me from the pits of depression. And by the grace of my God, I know I have been redeemed. I am redeemed. You said functional family. I started smoking pot with my drug dealing parents at the age of seven. Fast forward several years later, my mom was divorced for the second time and I had no father figure to keep me in line. I barely attended high school. My drug abuse had not surprisingly escalated to harder drugs like ecstasy, LSD, cocaine, and alcohol. And I started selling drugs to make money to support my addiction. There were so many more trials and tribulations and struggles I faced during this time in my completely dysfunctional life. But by the age of 19, after several arrests and multiple failed drug tests, my probation officer revoked my probation, and as a result, I was mandated to complete Cinecor, a long-term rehabilitation and behavior modification program. While in Cinecor, I had to deal with all my hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I was forced to look at myself and my brokenness. The depression, despair, and emptiness I felt resulted in me crying out to God. I asked Him to rescue me from my circumstances. What initially felt like one of the lowest moments of my life turned out to be the best thing that could have ever happened to me. 
After 27 months, I graduated Cinecor as a new man. I was transformed. I was truly changed from the inside out. I was not only delivered from bondages of addiction, but more importantly, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. This was without question a major turning point in my life. My name is Johnny, and I'm an adult child of an alcoholic and drug addict. As a result of my environment and my experiences as an adolescent, I too am a substance abuser in recovery. It's only by the miracle of God's grace and sacrifice on the cross that I am saved. Today I can proclaim that my addictions don't define me. I am defined as a precious child of God, and I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ my Savior, the one who died for me even though I didn't deserve it. Last week on um, March 25th, I celebrate 22 years of sobriety. It's by God's grace that I'm redeemed. I am redeemed. You set me free. So I'll shake off these heavy chains and wipe away every stain. And wipe away every stain. I'm not who I used to be. I am redeemed. You set me free. So I'll shake off these heavy chains and wipe away every stain. I'm not who I used to be. Oh God, I'm not who I. sound of my voice that so desperately needs to know that as a reality in their life that they'll just simply cry out to you and say I believe Lord help my unbelief and receive me I repent I turn around I come to you I cry out to you I turn to you Jesus and put my trust in you and Lord we thank you if that said in truth and in honesty that even at this very moment you are working in a redemptive way that will change things forever. And we thank you for that. Thank you for healing power and that being demonstrated in the life of your people. And we pray this in the strong, mighty name of Jesus and God's people said, Amen. Let's sing one more worship of affirmation to them.
Christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace where fears are sealed when striving
this morning. If you're a guest with us before you leave, if, uh, if there's anything about this morning, about a life being redeemed by a loving Father who would go to ridiculous measures to, to prove it, to show it, to live it, uh, would you please stop by the welcome table just behind the sound booth in the lobby? We'd love to get information and be able to follow up with you or give you information about us as well uh, in, in the week ahead. Uh, as you go today, go with the reality that Jesus is risen. You may go. Oh God, 